0: the privilege of showing or sharing with you guys a a villain today um, on our nation's birthday. I know it's kind of a downer, but you can blame Terry for that. He called me and told me he wanted me to do a villain, which is kind of wondering why, if there's implication under that or something. (laughs) So we're doing Pharaoh today. Before I dive into the story, I got to share with you a little context. Now before the context, I got to ask you a little question. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments by Cecil B. DeMille. Well, I haven't. I'd be lying. Okay, awesome. Well, this is a movie about the Egyptians. Israel, plagues, Pharaoh, Moses, that one. Well, it came out in 1956, so it's kind of old. You guys know what the movie is. And so I want to give you a little background, kind of a refresher, if you, in case you just forgot about that movie. Let's start with a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph, Joseph was the son of Jacob, who was late, uh, later named Israel. And also the grandson of Abraham, which we'll get to later. Joseph had these envious, jealous brothers who didn't like him because Jacob, his dad, liked Joseph more. So they sold him into slavery. I know, nice family, huh? So they sold him into slavery. Joseph gets to Egypt. Years later passed. And he moves up in the ranks because he actually uh, ends up interpreting dreams for the, the people up there, Pharaoh. And he becomes second in charge behind Pharaoh. Now the Pharaoh is kind of a, a nice title for a king or or leader, kind of like president is for America. So the Pharaoh was the leader of Egypt. So during a famine, Joseph's brothers actually came over to Egypt where Joseph was. Didn't know he was the leader. He thought they thought that he was dead. They saw him, Joseph moved his family into a city called Goshen in Egypt. And then it's interesting because they moved them they moved them there and I don't know how much in their family—12 people, I think—throughout I don't know how long of years, probably a couple hundred years, they grew into a huge nation, God's nation, Israel. And these people were called the Israelites. But see, Joseph died during these couple hundred years, and he died, and also the Pharaoh, the guy who he was, who he was under. So the new Pharaoh had no clue who Joseph was or the Israelites. But he felt threatened because he saw the Israelites, and they were growing larger than the Egyptians, his own people. He's like, man, we got to get rid of these people, exterminate them, or do something. Because they're going to take over us, or battle with us, with our enemies, if they ever have a revolt, or if we make them really mad. So he put them into slavery, oppressed them, and told them, okay, we're going to make you, bil- okay, sorry, we're going to make you sl- slaves of us, and you're going to make cities for us, buildings. You're gonna pick up the stones and bricks and you're gonna be our slaves, our little our helpers. Just a a nastier word that I didn't want to use. That they used. So he's he's helping them become slaves, which is not really a help for them. He said, Okay, I'll make you slaves and then I'm also gonna kill the firstborn son of all the Egyptians. I mean uh, Israelites, sorry. Because he doesn't want them to growing larger. So he said, I'm going to kill all the firstborn male sons so you won't grow larger in an army or as a people. And this is where Moses comes into the story. I'm sure you guys all heard about Moses in the Nile. And he floated down. Well, Pharaoh's daughter found Moses in the Nile, picked him up, and raised Moses in, the, in, in, in Pharaoh's house. I don't know if Pharaoh knew about this. He probably was so busy anyways. Well, 40 years later, Moses was out strolling around in the, in the uh, town. and He saw this Egyptian beating on an Israelite, one of his own people, the Israelites. So he was, excuse me, very angered, to say the least. So he killed the guy right on the spot. Kind of like Rambo meets Chuck Norris. Kabow! And done, right away. See, the problem with this was, Pharaoh found out that Moses killed an Egyptian. Moses got really scared because Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So Moses fled away and ran to the wilderness, spent 40 years in the wilderness, and then met God through a burning bush. And I'm sure you guys have all heard of this incident with the burning bush. So we get to this point where God is talking to Moses and telling him, I want you to free my people. I want you to let Israel go. I want you to talk to Pharaoh with your brother Aaron and say, okay, I need you, Pharaoh, to let my people go. And This is what he says. This is one of our key verses. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart. So that he will not let the people go. I, I know what you're thinking. What what in the heck? You can't do that, God. That's against our free will. I mean, can God even do that to a person? Harden his heart without without any asking or questioning or permission? Well, there's two main views that that, that go with this belief that, that go with this story about how Pharaoh's heart was hardened. First main view God just did it. Pharaoh had no choice, Pharaoh had no say. God made Pharaoh evil so he would get more praise. The first view kind of explains Pharaoh as being evil because God made him evil. God made Pharaoh evil so that he would get more praise and glory and power when he sets the uh, Israelites free. This first view also believes that God can do whatever he wants to whomever he wants, whenever he wants. Pharaoh was just simply another pawn in God's chess game. Second view, Pharaoh was actually an evil person. I don't know, get that. He was evil, insulated with pride and filled by the sinful desire to be God. Pharaoh was, was so prompt and habitual and actually hardening his own heart that God just gave him up to his own desires. So second view says that Pharaoh was already evil. He became evil by the choices he made and then God eventually gave him up to that. Now, I know we know that God is evil. I just said, or not sorry. God is not evil. Don't, don't quote that. Don't write that down in notes. Don't write an email to Pastor Terry. <laughs> Pharaoh is evil. But why was he evil? Why was he prideful? Why was he a bad guy? Well, I kind of want to just go into a quick character analysis, just a little brief overview of this dude named Pharaoh and why he was who he was. I start with the definition of the actual name Pharaoh. The term Pharaoh in the Egyptian language meant his honor, majesty, kind of royalty of king. That dude up there looks like a king to me. See, the the Egyptians believed he was a god and a key to the nation's relationship to the cosmic god. So he was kind of like a mediator. A Jesus, uh, our Jesus, the God. He's a mediator between the people and God. Now while Pharaoh ruled, he was the son of Ra. Now Ra was this big, powerful God, the highest God in the Egyptians' belief system. So he was the son of this God. He was sent from God, the gods, a son of God, and he came, the Egyptians believed he came from the gods with the responsibility to rule the land. So his, his word was law, and everything he sent went. Everything he said went. No matter what, if they argued against him or nothing, he had the law of God in him. That's what they believed. So, we know Pharaoh. Just, look, just a little overview. The bottom line is, he was plagued with the, with, with the desire of pride. He was fueled with, with the desire of being a god. He believed he was god. He was brought up to be, the, to be believing that he was a god. And people around him treated him as a god. So, of course, when you're in that position, you're going to act like a god. You're going to think you're a god, and you're going to live like a god. So the the bottom line is this, Pharaoh not only saw himself as a god, he acted as one, and because of that, there was major consequences. Well, let's go to God's side. In order to really understand the story, which we'll get into in just a moment, we have to know why God does what he does. I mean, the reason behind, behind what God does, the reasons behind why God is freeing Israel, and why God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. Why is God doing this stuff? What's the... The big idea, the thesis, the overarching theme, the, the interwoven thread through the whole story. What is it? Well, all throughout Exodus, we find God hinging off of the promise he had made with Abraham, which was the grandfather of Joseph. God said in Genesis, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant, or a promise. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish a promise with you, between me and you, and your descendants, your people, the Israelites, the nation that grew up in, in Egypt. And the promise is going to be that I will be your God and the God of your descendants. So He's saying, "Okay, I'm going to bless you by giving you many people in your in your in your family line, and I'm going to be your God, and they're going to be my people." To take this deeper into the story we're talking about today, God says in Exodus five two seven two, excuse me, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the people from among them. See, this is why God is having Moses and Aaron go free the Israelites. Not just some random fluke incident. It is a part of his promise and plan and and always has been. Number two, he does the things to show to all the people that he is God. So he's doing it because he promised Abraham. And he's also doing it so he can show those, the Egyptians and the Israelites, that he is the real God, not this dude. So let's get into the story set things off, Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and say, Okay, our Lord, our God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, our God says to let the people go so we can go worship him in the wilderness. Pharaoh's response was in Exodus 5-2, Who is this Lord that I should obey him and his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I follow him or let Israel go. How ironic is this that the God of the universe for Egypt missed an opportunity to connect with the real God of the universe. And he just, it flew right over his head. So, set things off. He, he totally ignored God right there. The first incident, the first reaction, interaction, he ignored God. Next time they met, God told Aaron, Okay, we're going to get him with this one. Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and it will become A serpent. A serpent. Now, Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. They took a rod, cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. But Aaron's serpent swallowed up the magician's serpent. And then Exodus 7:13 says, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not listen to him. Now we head into the ten plagues. And this is going to be just a fast, brief overview over the ten plagues and kind of Pharaoh's response to them. First plague, Moses and Aaron turned the water into blood. Now, it's interesting because magicians did the same thing. Again. Yet Exodus seven twenty one reads, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. Later on, it declares, the word declares that Pharaoh's heart was not moved by this. He didn't care. Oh, whoopee doo He could do a miracle. So can my people. Second plague. Frogs covered the whole land. That was kind of weird. When Pharaoh saw this plague, he said, oh God, you have to take this away. You have to. Let your people, or let Moses talk to God God, Moses says, go and beg God to take him away and I'll promise. I'll let your people go. He says, Moses, talk to God and just promise me that you're going to take this plague away and I'll be faithful. I'll let your people go. Yet, Exodus 8:15, just a few chapters later, it says, When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, so when the frogs were gone and God actually took the frogs away, he hardened his heart and did not listen to Moses or let his people go. Now take a a mental note that this was the first out of six times that Pharaoh did this. That when a plague came upon him, he said that he would let the people go. When there was disaster, he said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to surrender. God, you win. I'll let your people go. But then when there was relief, when God took away the storm or the plagues, he said, forget you, man. I'm, no, you're staying here. How often do we do this in our lives? When there's a storm, when we lost our job, or we got a car accident, or our son or daughter is rebelling against us, we go, oh, God, where are you? Oh, yeah, praise you, Jesus. I'm in the, I'm in the church today. Woo Hallelujah! But then when you lost your, oh, sorry, but then when everything's going good, and you got the ride you want, you got the job you want, you got money, you have a girlfriend, and everything's going just dandy, or wife, sorry. You're like, God who? I don't need God. Everything's right in my life. Why do I need him? This is exactly what Pharaoh did. He went back on his promise because he noticed that he didn't need God. Third plague. Lice came over the people and the animals like dust. Now when Pharaoh saw this, he sent his magicians to try and replicate what they did. Try to do it again. You know, because they did the other things. They made the... the the, uh, the serpent, and it did the blood with the water. Yet they could not do this one. They couldn't replicate the miracle. And it was at this point that the magician said, This is the finger of God. Yet Exodus 8:19 reads, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. See, so I believe this is a huge turning point in the story because even some of Pharaoh's closest friends, servants, partners recognized that God was moving, but Pharaoh didn't. They recognized that this was a real God they were dealing with, but Pharaoh ignored the sign. See, this is where Pharaoh's pride cements his feet into this path of rejecting God. He did not want to surrender or say he was wrong or say, okay, you win, excuse me, you win, God. It's over. I give up. He didn't want to do that. He believed he was God, so he was going to show everyone that he was. Pastor Terry, I was talking to him a few days ago, and he said, it's funny because everybody can see God move, but some choose to really recognize him moving. Pharaoh saw God move just as much as the magicians did. He saw what God did. They were right there beside him. Yet the magicians chose to recognize that God was actually behind it all. It's amazing how people can see and hear and experience God and be blessed by God and be loved by God and be healed by God, but not choose to tie the blessings with God. I mean, even the two thieves on the cross one thief saw Jesus as God, the other thief saw Jesus as a simple man, but they both saw the same picture. Fourth plague. God sends swarms of flies into the house and on the ground. Now when Pharaoh saw this, he told Moses again to take his people and just go. He said, get out of here, you're causing me stress. Yet when Moses begged God to take over the flies, it reads in Exodus 8.32, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. Surprise, huh? This plague, God killed all the livestock of Egypt. Exodus 9.7 reads, But the heart of Pharaoh became hard and he did not let his people go. Sixth plague. This appears to be just another plague. You know, it's the same thing. There's ten plagues. God's doing disaster on Egypt because of their rebellion. And so God sends boils that breaks out into sores on the people and the animals. Sounds fun, huh? Yeah, in this instance, it was not Pharaoh who hardened his heart, but God who hardened the heart of Pharaoh for him. God did it. This goes back to what God was saying earlier, how he will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, I believe what James wrote, an author in the uh, New Testament, what he wrote kind of clears up the confusion and makes it logical and it gives a great explanation to what happened with God and Pharaoh. James 1 13 to 15 says this When people are tempted, they should not say, God is tempting me. Evil cannot tempt God, and God himself does not tempt anyone. But people are tempted when their own evil, no evil, desire leads them away and traps them. This desire leads to sin, and then the sin grows and brings death. Pharaoh had the pride-filled, sin-soaked desire to be a God. He acted it out. He lived it out. He believed it, and he wanted others to treat him like a God. That desire led him away to sin and death. It's simple. He did it himself. And Paul even writes about this kind of in, in the, uh, to the church in Rome, he writes about people, to the church in Rome, about people who are rejecting God continually, who keep on saying, or giving a stiff arm to God, saying, I'm not going to follow you. He says, and God gave them up, these people, to the lust of their hearts, to shameful passions in a debased or crooked or crazy mind. Did God do that? The, the, the term gave them up in the original language paints the picture of, of handing over something. Of giving up. Of letting go. Pharaoh had the choice. He made the choice. And continually stuck with that choice. God said, eventually, I'm done with you. I can't do anything else. You have chosen yourself. I'm not going to change your heart if you don't want me to change it. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to hand you over to your desire. To your evil inclination. To the way you want to go. It's kind of like a parent dealing with a very rebellious child who keeps on nagging and saying, I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to listen to you. And After probably years of the parent talking to that child, praying for him, discussing with him, the parent has to eventually let that child go. I'm not a parent, but I've experienced this with with my parents. Sometimes they had to let me go and hand me over so I can learn my lesson. Well, Pharaoh didn't end up le- learning his lesson. See, there are ten plagues in total of all this Pharaoh story. Ten plagues, and every one of them was an expression of God's grace. You're going to say, what kind of grace is that? God covers people with boils? I don't want this grace. We see every opportunity, every, every plague was an opportunity to let Pharaoh choose. Okay, you're going to choose yourself, or are you going to choose me? this is proof that God gives you what you want. If you want an evil thing, if you want to do sin, if you want to really pursue that nasty, evil, corrupt desire, He's gonna give it to you. He's a loving God. He's gonna give it to you in hopes that you'll learn your lesson. On the contrast, if you really desire God, and want holiness, and don't want to lie, and be lustful, and anger, it um, fills anger and pride. And you want him. He's going to give you that. So God gives you what you want. And see, the problem with this is people think, well, God just totally messed up Pharaoh's life on, on purpose and he had no choice. No, he chose to harden his heart five times before God ever once hardened his heart. He chose his destiny. God simply gave him up to his desires. Now, the last three plagues, and just as the others do. He repents and says, oh man, I messed up, Moses. Here you go. You people can flee from me. They're good to go. You know, I'll pack you some sandwiches and brown bags. You get out of here. Yet, again, he hardens his heart and holds the people there. Well, eventually it gets to the point where all of Egypt and Pharaoh lose their firstborn son. Pharaoh finally says, okay, this is it. I'm letting go of you guys. And then decides to chase them. His heart still hardened, only to drown and die in the Red Sea, just as The the, the army did. So looking back to the story, we see that Pharaoh's heart was hardened 16 times in just seven chapters. 16 times in just seven chapters. That's pretty quick. The story went by fast. There wasn't years. I would guess it was either weeks or days. Maybe months max. And he hardened his heart 16 times. It talks about that. His heart was hardened. But it all really boils down to one thing. The root of Pharaoh's sin was believing he had no need for God. Was believing that he was his own God of his own life, a master of his own fate and destiny. And he didn't need God to rule him or to control him or to guide him or to love him. So therefore, the question really is, how do we stop ourselves from getting to the point that Pharaoh reached? Where his heart was totally shut off to what God wanted. Where his heart was so numb and dull that it couldn't respond to God's grace. It couldn't. The only way God would have fixed this problem is if he would have gone against his free will and changed his heart without Pharaoh wanting to. So how do we stop ourselves from getting to the point Pharaoh reached? Well, let me give you what I believe are the main warning signs of a hardening heart. And there may be others, and there probably is many of them, but these are the main things that I believe be a warning sign, a flashing light to, on the way to a hardening heart. First is decreasing concern of sin. Matthew Henry, a, a famous theologian, this guy that wrote about the Bible, he writes, sin appears fair, but is vile. It appears pleasant, but is destructive. It promises so much, but performs nothing. The deceitfulness of sin hardens the soul. One sin allowed makes way for another, and every act of sin confirms that habit. See, it might, it may not seem like a big deal to you to tell a little white lie, to judge someone, to lust, to quickly be impatient. It may not seem like a big deal. It's okay, it's just one sin, you kind of justify it, it's good. It is that at this point, I believe, that the brightest warning sign should flash. Why? Because the smallest sin should send off as great of a concern as any other sin. This is the this is the, the, the progress of, of this is if you don't care about a small sin, the logical response is you're not gonna care about other sins. You might care for a little while, but you're so slowly gonna numb yourself to sin. You're gonna numb yourself to even obeying God, and sooner or later you're gonna be trapped in a storm of disobedience and rejection. All because you didn't care about some sin in the beginning. I mean Pharaoh's first response to God in Exodus 5 was saying, I don't know you, okay, I don't know who you are, I don't care about you, and I will not follow you. That sin of ignorance led to many rejections, which led to multiple lies, which led to thousands upon thousands of deaths. David, one of the greatest heroes of the Bible, his greatest sin started off with a simple look at a woman. His increasing concern for sin hardened his heart to the evil he was doing, the evil he was trapped in. Which ended up snowballing into a storm of disobedience. I mean, he fell into the temptation by looking at the woman, committed adultery, and then murdered a fellow friend. All because the first sin he committed, he didn't really care about. Oh, it's fine. So then you go into this part. Oh, it's fine. Next thing you know, you've committed adultery and killed a fellow friend. Number two, a warning sign of a hardening heart and increasing neglect of God's word. It's so easy To be like Pharaoh. Trust me, I know. Pharaoh heard from God many times. Yet he never did respond to his word. I mean, think about it. The word isn't just for your head and hearing. And Pastor Terry said this. It is for your heart and doing and responding and fleshing out in your daily life and living it out. The word isn't just to hear it, even just to read and journal it. What good is spending time with God you're not gonna respond to what he's teaching you, or has shown you. Hebrews 3, 7 through 8 says this, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear God's voice, not the pastors, not your friends, God's voice, do not harden your hearts. (laughs) But this is not just Pharaoh's problem. Don't just blame it on him. It's Israel. God's nation, the people who were in Egypt, who Moses was trying to free, it was their problem also. He was speaking to them. He's basically saying, don't get in the position where you are hearing me speak to you, yet not do anything about it. Why? Why is that so crucial? Because it makes you familiar with the idea of God. Oh, you got the knowledge of God in your head, but it pushes you far from the reality of his presence. You may think you have mastered God, because you know about him, and you can quote some cool scriptures, and you got a leather Bible in your hand that has a little pocket carrier. But are you really experiencing God, and being convicted, and being changed, and loving people, and putting people above yourself? That's what God is saying. And if you don't do this, which I'll, uh, more of this will be explained later, it's easily said that your heart will quickly harden. Because you are hearing one thing, but not doing the same thing you're hearing. Number three, a growing view of self, or simply put, pride. It's clear that Pharaoh believed himself to be a God. We covered that. He believed that he was number one, center of the universe, the king, you know. But it was this belief, it was this belief that shackled his feet to the path of rejecting God. It was this belief of being higher than God that made him trapped in the sin of thinking he didn't need God. Let me give you this example from my life. Like Pastor Terry said, I'm going to Bible college. And Bible college to me has been a nonstop conveyor belt of information and theology and scriptures. Nonstop. I mean, even, it gets so, I don't know, worse or funny, that sometimes for our fun activities, we debate over the Bible. I know. Woo! I want to go to Bible college. And all this information in my head that's overloading, like information download into my head, it inflates my head and expands it. But let me tell you how bad it really got for me. The more I learned about the Bible, the more religious and important I saw myself. I started to see myself as a Pharisee almost, or act as a Pharisee. And eventually it got to the point where I was making serious judgments against a pastor that I knew up at college, and worked with closely. I not only questioned his motives, I was firm in the belief that he wasn't preaching biblically, that he wasn't doing church right, and maybe he didn't really love Jesus the way that he was supposed to. Now looking back on this, my judgments gave the appearance of trying to protect God. I'm going to stand up for you, God. I'm, I'm a religious man. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that this guy doesn't ruin your name. My judgments appeared to be centered on being biblical. My judgments appeared to be centered on doing church the way Jesus would. I thought I was doing a right thing, a religious thing, a good thing, by protecting people who are outside from this guy. Yet, when it all boils down and all the junk melts down, my judgments were really centered on what I believed to be right. My style, my version, my approach, me, myself, and I. Not anything else, not the Bible. I thought I was doing a good thing. I thought I had the Bible in mind. But really, it came down to, I had this style and approach. I believe this is the only way to do it. So if you're doing otherwise, you're wrong. It was interesting because I was, Pastor Terry kind of mentored me through this and worked with me. And one day I was uh, up in college and I was listening to a sermon. He didn't tell me to listen to the sermon and I don't know why I turned to the sermon, but I did. I went on the internet, popped it on and started listening and the first five minutes, I was more convicted than I've ever been in my whole life. So I text him and go, hey man, thanks for, thanks for convicting me in your sermon At first, I really thought, man, you're a punk for doing that. This whole church knows about my problems. You know, what kind of pastor are you going to tell the people about my problems? He even said, no, that wasn't about you. (laughs) I still don't believe that, but still. (laughs) But see, this is the problem, is I thought of myself so high that I hardened my heart against everyone else, even my closest mentors, even my friends, even my family or whatever. I hardened my heart against those people. It was not just a thing for Pharaoh to do. It wasn't just a thing that happened back then. It happens now. It happened in my heart. And on top of that, after I met with the pastor and apologized and I repented for my sins and I knew that I messed up and he understood. On top of that, I actually began to harden my heart against the good things Pastor Wayne was doing up at college. Pastor Wayne Cadero. I was saying, man, this guy can't run a church or a school. He doesn't know what he's doing. I don't care if he has 20,000 books out and 20,000 people in his church. I know better than this guy. (laughs) Oh, you laugh, but that's the way I felt. And I acted like that. And I gave the the, the aura that, oh, this, this is me. I'm, look at me. I know the right way. This guy isn't biblical. Don't listen to this guy. He's watered down. That's exactly what I said to people. Thinking that I knew the right way to preach because I've been in Bible college for three years. <laughs> I had no clue. I still don't. <laughs> That was my dad. <laughs> I'll talk to you after that. See, it's funny because we all can go there, right? It's not this Pharaoh. You don't have to be an Egyptian leader. You don't have to be some kind of a horrible person to reach the point that I did or Pharaoh did. We all can go there. And this is the key. This is probably sums up this point. You can build up your knowledge of the Word and a view of yourself so high that you start looking down on others in God. I don't want to say that again. You can build up your knowledge of the word and a view of yourself so high that you start looking down on others, not just others, but God, because you think that you've had the right way. You think that your way is good. And I know someone said I don't know who it was. I see like it's Lewis. He says that the road of hell is paved with good intentions. I had the good intention to save America from these horrible preachers. (laughs) But my intentions were so corrupt and sinful that they hardened my heart. See, I was in the Bible almost every day. Studying it, either reading it, writing about it, translating it, all this stuff. As I touched on earlier, it made me familiar with the idea of God, (laughs) but far from His presence. And I didn't really heal myself from that, from that moment. I still struggle with that sometimes, to the point where I think that I have it right, or that when I get a good encouragement or something from, from people, that I'm doing the good thing, that I'm doing the right thing, and then my head inflates. And I begin to pop up above everyone else. I begin to think, oh okay, maybe I am doing a good thing, and, and these people don't know what they're doing. Pride is a key to this. And pride will rot your heart from the inside out. So at the beginning, you won't think anything's wrong. Beginning, you're going to think you're doing a noble thing. But it will rot your heart from the inside out. And this hardened my heart and shut my heart off to really obeying God and to listening to these pastors. It's interesting because when I met with this pastor and talked to him and apologized, he said, it wasn't what you really said that affected me. It was the heart behind it. The attitude, the way you approached people and me, because I spread it around. And I affected more than just myself. I hurt and hardened other people's heart. And if you don't believe me, that happens. You check back to Exodus 14, I think, 5 or 8, where it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and so was the people he led, that followed him. See, this is, this is the implication of that. You're a leader, or you have influence, or you have people around you, or your family, or you're a husband, or you or a boss, or CEO. If your heart begins to harden, don't think for one second that it's not going to affect other people. Because it will. And it does. And it spreads. So you might think that it's just, oh, this is my problem. But really, it's affecting the people you lead. And it ended up costing not only Pharaoh's life, but their lives as well. So as the worship band comes on stage, I just want to finish with some quick, brief, short next steps. I mean, how do we walk this out? I know the warning signs. We know what to what, what keep ourselves from doing, but what do we do now? And I know maybe some of you probably have a hard heart today. Maybe some of you are not allowing God to really speak to you. Or you're ignoring Him. Or ignoring the help of others. And maybe some of you haven't gotten to the point where Pharaoh's at, but you were noticing the warning signs. Well here's just some quick next steps. Number one, read the word in journal. You hear it probably every week. Terry talks about it in the bulletin. Excuse me. It's everywhere. It's always talked about here, which is a great thing. But see, doing this will have a mirror that pops up that this reflects your selfishness. That reflects your problems. I know it's not easy reading the Bible, opening and go, man, I am a messed up dude. But the amazing thing is, you begin to see how perfect Jesus is through that. Don't just hear the word, but do it. Respond to it. If you're not a Christian, test it out. Live it out. Practice it. See how it works. Let the word shock, stretch, and straighten your heart to the point where you need God and you know it. And the second one is connect with Christians. This ties into our memory verse, which is in our bulletin. Basically, it boils down to this. You were designed to have people blow wind into your sails. You were designed to have people encourage you and hold you accountable. Like Pastor Terry did in my life when I was going down the hill into sin. He stopped me. He spoke some very strong words into my life that stung at first, like salt does in a wound, but it cleansed it and it healed me and it helped me to understand that I was in the wrong without this without people around you without Christians that are close to you and holding you accountable that sounds not the, not on Sundays no Monday through Saturday is when it counts when people are there walking with you doing life with you that's when you notice and they point out okay this is not good this is unhealthy you can change and not get tripped up and tricked by sin fourth or thirdly humble be humble We talked about this last week, Pastor Terry did, and it's probably so rampant that we could talk about it every week. Just know that you were in need. Because you are. You're broken people, just as broken as I am, and we all need God. You don't need you don't need a girlfriend, you don't need a wife, you don't need a job. You need God. And live like you actually depend on Him. Not just, oh, you're a good suggestion or a friend. Don't get to the point where you deceive yourself into thinking you don't need God. And lastly, my it's my, my, probably my favorite one out of all make it all about Jesus. Don't let rules or regulations or religious activities or traditions or this crap fill your life to the point where you miss the main thing Jesus. Because all that stuff sounds so attractive. It does. The power. The placement in your life, the prestigious, oh, I'm religious, I'm doing good things. But I, in my life, all that junk has blinded me from Jesus. Blinded me from the main thing. Just worship, study, think, love, and live like Him. The Bible is all about Him. This world is for Him, it was created through Him, so that we can make Him number one, not number 10, not even number two number one in our lives.